Well, this morning I want to speak to you about how to be fruitful for Jesus. The vision of this church is every life bearing fruit for Jesus. Now, that's every life. That's uh, you and me. But my question to you this morning is, are we bearing fruit for Jesus? Or are we bearing fruit for ourselves? All of us are bearing fruit. But is it good fruit or bad fruit? How do we know that we're actually part of God's vision, that we're stewarding what we've been given? The English wine industry is taking off. We've always had grapes in this country, but with the right conditions and the right stewarding, those grapes are now being used for some surprisingly quaffable wine. And in the gospel passage today, we also have a vineyard. And we know from the Old Testament that Israel is often compared to a vine, often becoming wayward and sort of out of control. And in John's gospel, Jesus talks about being the vine, him being the true vine, and we being the branches. But in this parable, it becomes clear that in this instance, he's not saying that we're the fruit, but he's focused on what we're doing with the fruit, because there are several main characters in this story. So who are these characters? Well, we have a landowner who owns the vineyard. We have some very wicked tenants who, are, who sort of keep doing away with the landowner's servants who come to collect the produce. And then we have the son of the landowner who the tenants kill. And as Jesus is telling this parable, um, he is in the temple. And his audience includes the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're the religious elite, the learned, the well-educated. And as he goes on in this parable, it becomes increasingly obvious to all listening that Jesus is talking about them. Now, the the problem isn't the fruit, but the tenants. Jesus is singling out people here. And he isn't just singling out them. He's actually also singling out himself. This is the first instance in Matthew's gospel that he refers to himself as being the son of God. It's all getting very, very dramatic. And, and what do we make of these tenants that Jesus singles out? They're more than just a bit untrustworthy. They are mad. They are reacting with a violent and insane lack of logic that grows and grows. And when the landowner's son comes to collect the produce, they kill him. Now, why is the owner of the vineyard suddenly going to make his son's murderers his heirs. Jesus doesn't have to deliver the punchline to the story. All the audience know what is bound to happen. And in verse 45, we see the chief priests and the Pharisees know it's about them. But I wonder this morning, would we, like the Pharisees, so easily recognize ourselves as the villains in this piece? Maybe when asked for the produce, we would say something like, of course, now, now let's see, what's the correct procedure for doing this? Or we might say, we can't agree on the best method for harvesting the grapes, and we can't possibly work together until that's worked out. Or we couldn't get anyone to help us harvest the grapes, so they've all rotted on the vines. Could you send us a few more helpers, please? I'm being provocative, but Jesus was being provocative. And in the epistle that we heard, we see that Paul, once a a high and mighty religious leader, recognized some truth in the description of himself, and he repented. 
all the credentials that he would have once trotted out as being proof that he was the perfect tenant for God's vineyard, he now realizes are worthless. He is a very strong word to describe rubbish. There's only one thing that he wants now, and that is to be more and more like Christ. He wants to bear fruit for Jesus. Paul knows that the the self-referencing religious elite is not what Jesus admires, so enjoying the sound of their voices while not speaking up for the voiceless. They are hoarding the fruit for themselves rather than letting it be used for what it was always meant to be used for, to, to bless the rest of the world, to bear fruit for Jesus. And St. Augustine and Martin Luther described sin as being turned in, being curved in on yourself. And all the while, we know that God's vision for his church is not being turned in on ourselves, but being turned outward and bearing fruit. Not a vision for a self-contained little vineyard, but a vision that the whole world would bear and blossom with fruit. The vision for your life and my life is not really what goes on in here on a Sunday morning, but what goes on the remaining 167 hours of our weeks. God's vision for your life and my life is so much greater, so much more exciting than you can imagine. How do we do this? How do we live lives that are outward and fruitful? How do we connect our everyday with the kingdom of God? Well, at risk of mixing metaphors, Jesus uses another image as well as the vineyard. It's a stone. It's a stone which people stumble over, and it's a stone that the religious leaders reject, but a stone that becomes the cornerstone. The tectonic plates of our culture are shifting so rapidly, it's very difficult to know which way is up. And Jesus is the great rejected one, but he is a firm footing. A foundation which doesn't just get you a ticket to heaven. A foundation that, yes, wants you to survive, but also to thrive. To bear fruit for others in this life, not just in the life to come. And the way that we bear fruit for Jesus is to make him our foundation. I don't know if you find this at all, but I find myself during the course of my week rejecting God in small ways, not listening to the still small voice, opting for other things. I find myself looking to other foundations. I treat Jesus as one of many support structures in my life rather than the structure. And amidst confusion and distraction and becoming preoccupied with my own little life, I find myself spiritually sort of drying up. And then I turn to this person, Jesus. He's so radical. He's so unpredictable. The more you look at him, you just see how utterly attractive he is. So take the parables that bookend this parable, for instance. In the first one, he says, uh, Jesus says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes believe, so they get to go in first. And the parable after, he says that those invited to the, to the wedding feast wouldn't come. So they go out to the highways and the byways to welcome in all the outcasts. We see that Jesus is radically inclusive. A man who even forgives those who killed him as he's hanging on a cross. Someone who would use his own rejection to be his own acceptance of you and me. When we 
here Jesus describing us as these wicked tenants? It seems to me that we have two options. The, the first is that we either entrench ourselves in our ways, preoccupied with our own little lives, bearing fruit that is neither nutritious nor delicious, or we become like Paul, someone who is captivated by this person, Jesus, so marveling in Jesus that he can't help but bring the kind of love that Jesus offers to people. We struggle and we toil and we try desperately to be fruitful. And all the while, it's God's will that we bear much fruit for Jesus, fruit that will last. If only we would stay in him. Or as this parable suggests, keep him as our foundation. If you cultivate captivation with Christ, you will bear fruit. Towards the end of the parable, Jesus quotes scripture to the religious leaders, and he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Don't be like the tenants this morning. Don't be like the builders. Don't reject Jesus. Explore him. Look into him. Discover how beautiful and compelling and exciting he is, and you will marvel at him. Accept Jesus today, whether it's for the first time or for the hundredth time. As we come forward to communion, accept Jesus. Make him your foundation, and you'll not only find yourself living a life full of wonder, but just watch yourself bearing fruit for Jesus too. Amen.